In today's Trouble with the Snap, Colton and I will be looking at and previewing a pretty solid Week 11 slate before jumping into our locks of the week and finally wrapping up the show with a brief discussion about the Jimbo Fisher situation here at Texas A&M. Let's roll the intro. Nick Saban, and in 2003, the Tigers captured the BCS. Michigan State's Dalen Watts takes in and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable! All right, everybody, welcome back to the latest episode of Trouble with the Snap. As always, I am Will, joined by my absolute scholar down at Blue Mountain State University. No, I'm just playing. Um, down at the University of Texas in Austin, Mr. Colton Deutsch. Colton, how are we doing today, boss? Pretty good. I wish I went to Blue Mountain State. That is a really really fun school from what I've seen on television, but yeah, I'm pretty good. I can't believe it's already Wednesday and got to gear up for another game week, but pretty excited. I think this is maybe not quite the slate that week 10 was, but it's still a pretty solid and loaded slate. So I'm excited to excited to get down to Fort Worth, watch some games in the morning and afternoon, and then head to the stadium at night. For sure. Sounds like an awesome weekend. Um, Man, I, I, I feel like I say this every show and I'm like a broken record, but it's already crazy just to even think that we're at week 11. I mean, it feels like just it feels like it was yesterday when you texted me in like the end of July saying like, hey, let's start a podcast for this upcoming college football season. And when you texted me that it was truly the middle of July and I'm like, man, the season's still like a month out. Like it, it, it feels like forever away and you pretty much blink your eyes and you're already at week 11 where we are now. So it's just that's just crazy. But um yeah, man. Do you want to just jump into it, or do you have anything exciting to announce before, or anything notable in your personal life go on between the last episode now, or do you want to just jump into the games? Nothing too crazy. It's pretty pretty wild to think that we're already twenty four episodes in. So yeah, appreciate anyone who listens because we have a lot of fun with it. But yeah, I think I'm about ready to jump in the games if 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 you are. All right, well, let's do it. Uh, as always, you want to lead us off in the first game. Sure, let's start off with a huge Big Ten East matchup here. You have undefeated Michigan goes on the road to Happy Valley to face the one-loss Penn State Nittany Lions. Kind of feels like one of those games that James Franklin really, really needs just simply because I think you got to give Franklin a lot of credit for winning the games that he's supposed to. A lot of schools and coaches cannot really say that, but he simply has not been able to really pull off wins in these big games, really just against Michigan and Ohio State. And here yet again, I think they're going to face a bit of a problem athletically and I think Michigan is probably one of the feeders in the nation that can actually out-physical Penn State on the line of scrimmage. So I think Michigan will be able to do just enough to beat Penn State in a close one. I see this being probably in the, in the mid-20s type of game, but I don't know if I can trust Drew Alari here in this spot yet, considering Penn State's already lack of real receiving threats. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Um, huge game, no questions asked. Any way you shape it, this, this game is massive um 
I also agree with what you're saying. This does feel like a surefire must have kind of game for James Franklin. You know, um, he's been able to get the Nittany Lions into contention of the Big Ten. Uh, feels like year in and year out since he's taken that job several years ago. However, um, I, maybe it's just me. I don't know, but it feels like Ohio State and Michigan are just just ever so slightly above Penn State um, in regards to how their seasons are going, where they are currently at the moment. Um, however, with the win on Saturday against the number three team ranked um, the number three ranked team in the country, um, that will certainly flip that on its head. Um, as for this game, you know Michigan, as I just mentioned, coming in nine and zero, they're going on the road. Um, Especially going up to Happy Valley, or excuse me, going to Beaver Stadium down at Penn State. Um, as we all know, it will be absolutely electric. Uh, Beaver Stadium, I believe, is already one of the lar- like top five largest capacity stadiums in the country. So we all know there will not be an empty seat in that in that stadium whatsoever come Saturday. Um, so as for Michigan, this will be very fun to see just how they are able to handle this test. Um, you know, quite honestly. I, I truly think that this will be their biggest test of the season going forward. I know that you can easily point to the Ohio State game to close out the season, but um, one, that game's at home. And, um, you know, it's it just it, with with them going on the road, taking on a really tough team in such a hostile environment. If Michigan, if Michigan is able to get past this game, then I think they will be pretty much set. Um, in regards to the CFP, I think I feel like they could even drop like a close game to Ohio State to close out the season and still probably make it just because the resume is that strong and other contributing factors like that. But all in all, for this game, I'm really excited for it. And um, I'm with you on that one as well. I think that this game will probably be like a mid 20s kind of score, low to mid 20s. Um, as for my preview or as for my pick in this game, I will probably still roll with the Wolverines just because of um, their physicality entirely as a team and um you know I, I just think JJ McCarthy is that much better of a quarterback than Drew Alar um up to this point in the season um all right now moving on I am gonna take a trip south here for a little bit uh the next game I'm looking at is Alabama at Kentucky um so as we know Bama clearly got the much-needed win against arch-rival LSU last weekend in a pretty pretty resounding way, pretty resounding fashion. Um, you know, as I, as I mentioned in the last episode, Alabama, it feels like ever since um, ever since they had that somewhat of a slow start or uncharacteristic kind of start that we've come to expect from Alabama, um, they have just cleaned up a ton of things, and they have been on an absolute tear uh, and an absolute roll. Um, ever since then. And so I don't see that stopping or that role slowing down at all this weekend, even though they are going on the road to take on a Kentucky team who, as as we know, um, earlier in this season was, you know, they were, they were on track for a really special year and that's been derailed a little bit. They're they're, uh, Kentucky's now six and three. Uh, But ultimately, you know, as I was just saying, Alabama, you know, they've, they've just been hot and it feels like each week they just get better and better and better and better. And I, I don't see that slowing down at all. I got I got the tide by at least two touchdowns in this game, even though it is in Kentucky. Yeah, Alabama looking to clinch the West with a win in this one. Let's look at Louisville, Virginia really quickly here going to Charlottesville. 
Virginia has, has played some inspiring football this year and have been close in a lot of games and were actually able to pull off one against North Carolina a few weeks back. So that was good to see for them. Louisville and Jeff Brom, they're in a fantastic job sitting at 8-1. and one, Really behind the legs of Jorah Jordan and Jack Plummer being able to take care of the ball. I don't see any issues here for the Cardinals, and I think that they improve to 9-1 and one and clinch their spot in the ACC championship against Florida State. All right, now let's pivot back to the SEC. And uh, the next game I'll talk about is a game that I will be at. The uh, Mississippi State is coming on the road here to the Bryan College Station area to take on AM. Um, I'm not really sure what to say about this game. You know, with such high stakes games already behind you in the conference, the SEC this year, this game just, it, it's just kind of feels like, it, obviously it's just not on on the same level as those other games. It's just it's just kind of disappointing. Um, but anyways, going into this game, it will be very interesting to see, notably, who the, who the quarterback will be starting for AM come Saturday because there have been a few reports and rumors and speculations that quarterback Max Johnson potentially, I believe the rumor is that he broke a rib or broke some ribs in the loss to Ole Miss this past weekend. So it'll be really interesting to see if he is still the guy um, or if he is healthy enough to go um, come Saturday. Another thing for AM. Um, you know, if Max Johnson is not able to go, I believe the next quarterback up, I can't even think of his name right now, um, but he is a... Jalen Henderson, right? Yes, I believe it is him. Um, he is the transfer. Uh, he's from uh, Los Angeles, and he transferred here this past offseason from Fresno State. Um, pretty tall lefty. I'm pretty sure he's a pretty, uh, pretty big dual threat kind of quarterback he's not necessarily a pocket passer but I believe he um his bread and butter is being that dual threat kind of guy so it'll be really interesting to see I mean if you know you're the third string quarterback going into the season and you get your very first start at AM right in the right in the middle of conference play I mean that, that's like going from zero to 100 and then some so it'll be very interesting to see if he's if he's the starter uh hopefully not as an Aggie fan I hope Max Johnson will still be healthy enough to go um as for Mississippi State, I did also see regarding their quarterback situation. Um, I don't know just what the entire of the entirety of the situation is. However, I did see a report earlier on Twitter saying that their quarterback Will Rogers was, I believe, he is participating in practice again. Um, as we know, he's been hurt for quite some time now for the Bulldogs, and that has certainly hurt them. So, if they were able to get Will Rogers back potentially for this game against AM on the road, that would be huge for them. Um, ultimately, for this game, though. I'm in my mind, I'm still assuming that Max Johnson plays and Will Rogers does not. Um, that would be the most ideal outcome for me. So granted that um, potential scenario, I got the Ags rolling big time and bouncing back um, from their recent struggles with a pretty resounding win over a conference opponent. All right, now uh, staying in the SEC, we'll pivot to Tennessee at Missouri. This will be a very fun game, a very pretty big showdown in the sec east um colton you got any insight on this one what do you see in this one yeah big sec east matchup here as you said the winner is probably going to finish second here which it's actually a pretty good season for both of these teams for this one actually you know missouri's played some better defense than i think anyone could have asked for and anticipated this year and with them being at home i think i'm going to trust brady cook in this mizzou offense a little bit more than i will Joe Milton and Tennessee. To Milton's credit, he has played better of late, really ever since that AM game where I thought that he really struggled. But I don't really think that Tennessee has the receivers in the skill position guys that I can really trust them in this game. And so I think that Missouri, as a home underdog, finds a way to get it done. 
I totally agree with you on that one. Um, it's actually kind of crazy that Missouri, with this game being it being at home for them, they are still the underdog going into this. Um, just a really interesting kind of note for me. Um, as for this, though, I do believe that Missouri will get this done, considering mainly because this game is at home. Um, I realize that Tennessee is a, at least from what I've seen, is a completely different team um, when they are at Neyland compared to when they are on the road. Um, meaning that they are much better at home than they probably are on the road. So with that factor or with that main thing, um, that point that I just, I'm, I'm sorry, my brain is scattered um, with that main contributing factor going into this game. Um, I feel pretty comfortable rocking with Missouri in this one. I don't think it will be, you know, a blowout or, or, or two to three, tu- uh, two to three touchdown win by any means. I certainly see this game um, being won within 10 points or less. Um, however, I still still want to give the advantage to the Missouri Tigers here. All right, continuing our trend with the SEC, um, the next game we will be looking at is Ole Miss and Georgia. Pretty huge game here, as as um, you would come to expect. You know, Ole Miss uh, is now the number nine team in the country, and they are going on the road to take on the mighty Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, huge showdown. You know, um, Ole Miss is having a hell of a season up to this point, and uh, a win in Athens against the Bulldogs would only add to that Um a ton. And so as for this, it will be very fun to watch. No questions asked Um, regarding Ole Miss. You know, it it will all come down to, in my opinion, just how well Jackson Dart plays. As we know, excuse me, he has been playing very well up to this point in the season. And so um, if he is able to continue that style of play and, you know, if he's able to distribute the ball all around, protect it and, you know, just limit turnovers, um, I could easily see Ole Miss pulling a late upset in this game. I don't think that will happen, though, because Georgia is that good, especially with this game being at home for them. Uh, but I could definitely see that happening. As for Georgia, um, you know, that defense is just top-notch once again. And Carson Beck has really seemed to find his stride, as I've mentioned in the past few episodes. So it'll be really fun to watch. Um, my prediction for this game, I probably, I'm going to roll with the dogs here, and I got them by probably seven points, probably by a touchdown. What about you, Colton? Yeah, this is a big matchup. I would love for Lane Kiffin to get to pull an upset. It kind of seems like one of the things that he's kind of missing from his resume is, I think, a really, really big signature win over a big-time SEC school. This would certainly fit the bill there, but I don't know. I, I'm i with you. I like what I've seen from Jackson Dart, Quinton Judkins, Trey Harris has just been a complete revelation for that offense, but I really just think that Georgia – it's just way too talented and is going to be way too much for the Rebels. I think especially on both lines of scrimmage, it's going to be hard for Ole Miss to move the ball, and I think Georgia is going to win this game pretty comfortably. Let's look at the game I'll be at. You have Texas goes on the road to Fort Worth to play TCU, 6.30 under the lights. Uh, Fort Worth typically is not that tough of a place to play, especially with TCU having a – real down year after making the national championship game last year. And I expect that there'll be a lot of Longhorn fans in attendance here. One thing to watch for this game on both sides is who's going to start at quarterback for TCU. They've been rolling with the freshman Josh Hoover, who has actually played fairly well in the absence of Chandler Morris, who's been injured. And uh, it was seeming like Morris was going to be ready to go for this game. Sonny Dykes mentioned the other day that they're still planning on starting Josh Hoover, but we'll see if that's, a little bit of trickery there by Sonny Dykes. 
Quinn Ewers has also been throwing and practicing this week, and I anticipate a decision to be made on whether he's going to start in probably the next day or so, and we'll see there. I do think that Ewers probably is going to be more ready for Iowa State. So this game, I think Texas should not have that much trouble moving the ball unless Malik Murphy is turning the ball over like crazy, which is a real possibility. And so I don't know if I was Texas, I think they're going to start Malik Murphy. I would have him on a pretty short leash, though. I think you have to have Arch Manning ready to go in this game because you cannot let your season go down the drain because of a bunch of stupid and careless turnovers. Defensively, I could see the Longhorns struggling a bit with his TCU passing attack. And they do have Imani Bailey, who's a very good back, but no one has really been able to punish Longhorns on the ground this year. With Longhorns continue to struggle in zone coverage, I could see this game being a little bit closer than Longhorn fans would like. Ultimately, I do think Texas finds a way to win this game, but I, I don't think it'll be a blowout by any means. Jumping to the Big Ten, Rutgers at Iowa. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. I just I mean that's all we got. That- <laughs> that's all I've got. Let's look at the Pac-12. USC goes to Eugene to play Oregon. This is a game where I think I mentioned the past few episodes, believe it or not, USC has still has a chance at making the Pac-12 championship game. They have two conference losses. Oregon has one. So if the Trojans can find a way to pull this one off, they could be looking at a potential rematch with Washington. But I kind of see this not being as high scoring as USC-Washington because I do think Oregon actually has better defense than the Huskies. And I mean, I think Caleb Williams and USC will, will be able to put up some points. And obviously, Bo Nix and Oregon is going to put up a lot of points on USC, even without Alex Crinch. I'm sure this defense will still struggle a lot. So I see Oregon being able to get a few stops and winning this game by double digits. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, you know, Bo Nix has looked great up to this point in the season. Um, Oregon still has that. They've only suffered that one loss. You watched it on that game-winning field goal. Um, other than that, they have been outstanding um and their other other games and i don't see this being any exception whatsoever you got this game especially at home um and you're welcoming a usc team who feels pretty def- uh pretty defeated uh, and kind of deflated up to this point in the year you know they're seven and three and just fire their defensive coordinator things like that um so yeah i can easily see oregon winning this game in blowout fashion um you know, I, I hope that's not the case because I, I would love to see like a high, a high, uh, high scoring shootout kind of game like that because that's the true capability of both of these offenses. But I, at the end of the day, I just don't think that will happen. I think Oregon will certainly put up their fair share of points. And as Colton was saying, which I agree with as well, their defense, in my opinion, is better than Washington's. And I think that they will be able to limit Caleb Williams to, um, you know not many points on the board or at least not as many as what Oregon will put up. So ultimately I, I got Oregon and I got Oregon and the ducks in this game by probably at least two touchdowns, if not more. Um, either way, I'm still really excited to watch this game and I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that this game could be a shootout, but I just don't see that happening. So get a little big time basketball rivalry here. You have Duke going to Chapel Hill to face the Tar Heels this game probably would have been a lot more fun had Riley Leonard been able to stay healthy. And it's unfortunate because this Duke season kind of seemed like it ended whenever Riley Leonard got pretty dinged up there at the end of the Notre Dame game. So, yeah, I'm sure Mike Elko will have a pretty good defensive game plan here in place for Drake May or Marion Hampton and those guys in Chapel Hill. But ultimately, without really any offensive threat from the Blue Devils, I don't see the Tar Heels having much trouble here. West Virginia goes to Norman. OU's looking to bounce back after two consecutive losses. I honestly would not be too shocked if the Mountaineers got it done here. I mean, OU's looked really shaky pretty much ever since Red River and 
something about them seems a little off, especially offensively. But I think that OU finds a way to get back in the win column here and keep their Big 12 championship hopes alive. You also have Arizona going on the road to face University of Colorado Boulder. Boulder is pretty much going to have to win two of their last three if they want to make a bowl game. I do not see them winning this one. Their offense seems like a bit of a mess right now with the whole coordinator shuffle. Their O-line is still bad. They can't run the ball. Their defense is still bad. The Cats are playing some good, some pretty good all-around football of late, and I see that continuing as the Wildcats get it done. So with that, I think that'll just about wrap up what we're looking at for week 11, but we do have to get into everyone's favorite segment, Locks of the Week. Will, since you have been on a hot streak lately, do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. Um, So I'm looking at two games this week, of course, like always. Um, The first game that I'm looking at is the Tennessee at Missouri. And as we mentioned just a moment ago, Missouri in this game, even though it is is a home game for the Tigers, um, they are still plus one and a half. Um, they are not the favorites. It's kind of odd to have a home underdog like this, but I, I understand. Um, so my first lock of the week will be Missouri plus one and a half. I, um, as I mentioned in the game preview, um, this will be a really fun game to watch. And as I was mentioning just a moment ago, um, Tennessee is, it feels like they can certainly be a different team on the road than they are at home, meaning that they perform a lot better at home in my opinion than they do on the road. So, with that, I feel pretty confident in taking Missouri plus one and a half this week. Um, the other game that I am looking at, I know that Colton is not going to be a big fan of this, uh, is the Texas at TCU game with TCU being plus 10. Um, I know that I personally didn't give a preview or pick in this game or any analysis at all whatsoever just a moment ago. But um, considering what's happened with Texas this pa- these past few games, um, especially with Quinn Ewers still being out and Malik Murphy, assumably being in the guy, um, I, I feel pretty confident in taking the Horn Fogs plus ten. I'm not taking them to necessarily win this game, but as for covering, um, I certainly think that they will be able to cover the plus ten, especially with this game being in Fort Worth. Um, you know, Colton did touch on this. It's it certainly is a down season for them, or maybe not living up uh, for the Horn Frogs, or at least not living up to the expectations that were uh, set absolutely sky high coming off a national championship appearance last year. Um, so considering that they've had a bit of an up and down year, they could easily get back on track, uh, or at least have, um, a nice little feather in their cap with a potential win over the Longhorns this weekend. However, as I just said, I don't think that'll happen, but I certainly still think they will play well enough to cover the plus 10 that they have. Uh, those are my two locks of the week. Colton, what are your two locks of the week? So my first lock of the week, we're going to take Washington minus nine and a half in Salt Lake, or sorry, yeah, in Rice Cycle Stadium there, playing the Utah Utes. I think we've mentioned this for pretty much the whole year, but it's kind of a shame to see this Utah team without Cam Rising because they're probably still in the playoff race if they haven't. They just don't really have much of an offense, regardless of how good Morgan Scally has that defense playing there in Salt Lake. But overall, I, I think Washington is going to be able to put up enough points to win by – 10 or more, simply because I don't think Utah's going to be able to score much, even if Washington has had their struggles defensively. The other game I'm looking at, if you can still get it at two and a half, I found this on Bet Online. But Oklahoma State, who is right there at Texas in a pole position, and, and I think actually in a better spot due to their schedule to make the Big 12 championship game, they are minus two and a half going to Orlando to face, UC, uh, to face UCF. UCF 
is one in five in Big 12 play. They really struggled. Gus Malzahn, John Rice Plumley. I mean, you always got to be a bit wary of them. But I don't know. I mean, I know Oklahoma State, they have struggled a bit to, to stop the run, even though you ran on them and they don't have much of a run game themselves. But I don't know. I think Oklahoma State is going to find a way to win this game. And I think by by at least three points, which is going to make that my lock of the week. I love what I've seen from Ollie Gordon and Alan Bowman. And yeah, I think Oklahoma State is going to have a pretty good chance to walk into Arlington 10 and 2 if they can take care of business. So I think that uh, I think this is the week where we get back to going two for two. I like that. I uh, I really like those picks because, uh, you know, you haven't gone two for two in a, a few weeks. And so, uh, well, I mean, you don't have to. I, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean it like that. I, I mean, I think I was kind of getting screwed over by uh, Deion <laughs> Sanders, who I like Deion Sanders. So I don't understand why they have to backdoor cover me all the time. I, I, I don't mean it like that, Colton. I, I'm just saying, I think this is the week that you personally get right back on track and start feeding families once again with these locks of the week. So I'm just I'm just letting you know um, I, I like these picks a lot for you. I don't know. Well, there's a little bit of I don't know. There's a little bit, you know, snarkiness in that tone, but there's no snarkiness whatsoever. I promise. I don't know. We'll see. See you guys. This is a problem. I mean, you let Will win a couple weeks, and all of a sudden he goes through the roof. But you so, know what, Colton? We'll I think it's a fair exchange considering that you dominate the draft section of this of this show. I think it's fair that I dominate at least one section, and that just happens to be locks of the week so far. Very fair, very fair. Okay. Um, all right. So I realize that we are completely hauling ass for this show. Um, apologies for that. Or if you like the really up-tempo kind of um, no-huddle uh, style show we're running right here, uh, please let us know. But um, our final segment that we're going to touch on before we close out the show, um, I feel like I would be a bad fan or I guess – completely oblivious if I didn't bring anything up. That would be the Jimbo Fisher situation here at AM. I know that Colton and I did um, briefly talk about this a few episodes ago. Um, however, since then, of course, some things have changed a little bit, considering that AM has dropped a few of uh, these past four weeks. AM's dropped um, as many games, if not more, than they've won. And we're in year six of Jimbo now, and it seems like everything's going backwards. So, um, it's just a really, really interesting situation. Um, as pretty much the majority of college football fans around the country know, Jimbo Fisher is currently on the leash for, I believe, his initial deal was a 10-year, $75 million um, a $75 million contract. And on top of that, you add like another $20 million, $20 million extension on top of that. And all that money is fully guaranteed. So he's currently on the hook for at least $95 million guaranteed, if my math is correct. Um and we've reached the point in his tenure so far at AM where boosters and um, you know donors and our athletic director whatnot are absolutely weighing the possibility that this contract, no matter how uh, behemoth in size it is, will be absorbable and that they will be able to get rid of them if that is what they decide to do. So as an Aggie, I will say um, I'm, I'm incredibly disappointed in Jimbo Fisher up to this point. Um, you know, 2020... After you go win the Orange Bowl, I realized it was a weird season because it was it was straight COVID. However, in 2020, um, the Aggies had no non-cons, and they, it was all a strictly SEC schedule, if you all can remember that. Um, and they ended up only dropping one game, and that was week in week two to Alabama on the road. Other than that, they won every single game. Um, so aside from 2020, which was just kind of a bit of a fluky season for everybody, it feels like, uh, just kind of off, um, 
Jimbo Fisher up to this point has certainly been underwhelming. Um, just to put it bluntly, it's just not really been fun to watch. I mean, of course, you know, he's been able to recruit incredibly well, as we all know. Um, but the problem is that recruits, no matter how good they may be or how good your recruiting class may be, you still have to have good coaches to win football games, uh, regardless of how good your players are. And clearly, um, it feels like with AM having one of the most talented rosters in the SEC, if not the entire country, for them to be in the position they are in right now um, and the way that they finished last year, it, it's just inexcusable at this point. I mean, I feel like if you gave this this type of talent to someone, you know, give it to someone like Kirby Smart or, or Nick Saban, they will undoubtedly go undefeated and probably win the national championship with, with just how much talent would be on that roster. Um, it's just really disappointing, and I it's just a lot of head-scratching stuff. And personally, I would be in favor of getting rid of Jimbo just because I'm not, I'm not um, con- contractually obliged to, or I'm not liable – and not forced to pay him a single cent of my own money. So that's probably why I'm most in favor of getting rid of him. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, I feel like I'm going on a rant and a bit of a tangent here. Uh, Colton, do you have any, any thoughts on this situation? Do you have any input? Well, undoubtedly uh, one of my favorite Jimbo Fisher moments was when he was leaving Florida state and you can see in his front yard, he threw the Christmas tree out and I'm sure there was some sort of lawnmower out there too. I mean, who knows, but I mean, I I still just think it's going to be tough to. I know A and M has a lot of money, but that's a huge financial commitment. But you do have to bite the bullet at some point, and I I think at this point it is pretty clear that I don't that things are not really going to go the way that A and M wants it to. One thing I think is interesting what A and M could potentially have to weigh is. Like, like, obviously NIL plays a role in recruiting these days, but a lot of guys go to schools uh, and coaching relationships are a big part of that. And obviously A&M signed the highest rated recruiting class of all time in 2022. And you go into next year, 2024, and it's a fairly manageable schedule, much easier than one that A&M has had in the past. And a lot of those those guys are going to be juniors. So I guess one thing A&M could potentially have to be weighing is, are you going to lose a lot of guys from that class if they – if they lose, you know, the coach that they committed to and signed to, I think that's one thing that they have to weigh And simply. Can they make the financial commitment to do that? Because not only do you have to fire Jimbo Fisher and all of his assistant coaches, then you also have to pony up and get a new coach who I'm sure is going to be a, a big name who would probably demand not the same type of contract, but you're still going to be paying them a lot of money as well. So curious to see how it plays out. My thinking, obviously, you're more in tune with it than me. Is like if A&M finishes five and seven or six and six is probably a possibility. But if they finish seven and five, just what I think is that he'll probably be back next year. But obviously, uh, you're more in tune with it than I am. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think um, if I had to project A&M's final three games of the season, um, you know, I think they win this Saturday against Mississippi State. Uh, next week they have um, a pretty much a bit of a cupcake, I believe, against Abilene Christian, and then they finally close out the season on the road in Death Valley. So if you tally up all the wins and losses, whatnot, I believe that would put AM at a seven and five schedule. Plus, if you throw a bowl win in there, which you know you, you got to even see who would play in a bowl game like that, considering how low the stakes would be. Um, 
there's a potential you go eight and five. And, you know, you're still three games over 500. That's still better than your five and seven record last year, no doubt. But considering that it is year six of Jimbo Fisher, I mean, I would trust a bag of fertilizer more than I would trust him to be my head coach right now. Um, I don't know. I could I could truly just sit here for hours and hours and talk about how disappointed I am. Just kind of missed opportunities. Um, and it's not just uh, like wins and losses that g- get me frustrated. It's like the little things that he does in games too that get really frustrating. I remember during um, earlier during the season, he um, for whatever reason, it felt like every single game, like through like the first four or five weeks, he would always take all three timeouts into the locker room with them and going into halftime. And it was just a really head head scratching kind of coaching style because when I think back on those earlier games, there were certainly times where AM could have easily kept their foot on the gas going into halftime and had a chance to put up at least uh, a field goal, if not a touchdown on some of those drives. But, you know, Jimbo decided to either kneel off the clock or just hand the ball off and just run the clock all the way down to zero and said, hell with it, we'll get him in the second half. Um, so that's really disappointing. The other thing he does too is just, I know that Bobby Petrino is the offensive coordinator and he was brought in to hopefully revolutionize this offense. And to an extent, he he has somewhat. But at the same time, um, it, it, it feels better than last year. But um, also the offense now just kind of feels pretty stagnant. Um, the most glaring number that I've brought up a few times in the last few episodes has been that AM has completely struggled um, with second half touchdowns, except for their last week where they had three of them against Ole Miss. Uh, so that's clearly the rare exception. I'm curious to see if that trend still continues or if they will go back to um, square one and not being able to punch it in the end zone in the second half. But, um, you know, just things like that. And I, as I said, we're in year six with this much talent on a roster. You would easily expect much different results. Um, I get it. The SEC is without a doubt the most difficult conference to play football in in, the, in America, regardless Uh you know, I feel like you can argue with the wall on that one. It's it's just the truth, I feel like. At least it is to me. And, um, you know, I'm not using that as a crutch to defend him by any means. But, you know, when you, when you have that much money to your name and a guaranteed contract, you're probably expected to have better results than what you've put up the past few seasons. And the most glaring stat that I keep seeing, too, is that through six seasons, Kevin someone has, like, three more wins and three less losses than Jimbo on his overall coaching record at AM. So that is pretty jarring um and just completely eye-opening if you ask me because kevin someone um compared to jimbo fisher he was like dollar general compared to like an actual grocery store what I mean by that is you know he gave you the exact same products um in this case maybe even a little bit of a better product for a quarter of the price and so um it's just crazy because you know, all the excitement that came out with the jimbo hire and and him actually leaving Florida state for AM when this first happened, when you and I were still in high school, I was just over the moon with, with excitement of, of uh, this hire. And clearly up to this point, all we have so far is just an orange bowl trophy. And that is just about it. Um, yeah. I, I'm disappointed to say the least, if, if you can't tell. Yeah. I mean, I think the longer that you keep him, the worse it, it's going to get. And you mentioned he's obviously a very good recruiter, but I don't think that he does a good job managing or building a roster. You'd see this for Texas under Tom Herman, where you sign a top three class, but six year top seven recruits your defensive backs, and you're just having major holes at a couple key positions. And that's what AM is really facing right now. I mean, 
it's obviously great to have a nine five star defensive lineman, but why do you have that and then have your secondary is terrible and your O line is a complete mess? And I don't think it's a coincidence that every single year your starting quarterback gets hurt. I mean, the and this has gone back to Florida State. I remember when he had DeAndre Francois. I'm pretty sure it's still on YouTube. There's a highlight reel of just DeAndre Francois getting lit up for an entire season. I've seen it. No, I remember that highlight reel. Um, you know, the thing, too, with Jimbo is that at least come this past offseason or two offseasons ago, um, our O-line since 2020 has just been abysmal. It's I don't even want to talk about how bad they've been. Um, and, you know, Jimbo's excuse is always like, oh, we'll look into the portal. We'll look into the portal. We're going to hit the portal hard. Portal this, portal that. Well, clearly he didn't hit the portal hard enough, or if he did, he certainly didn't hit the, the right spots hard enough, right position groups, because um, there are still – you know, that's the thing with this AM team is that the, the positions that are good, like they're really good. Um, and the positions that are your weaknesses on the team are completely just awful. And so I, I guess what I'm saying by that is what's good is really good, and what's bad is god-awful. So there's no like in between. It's not like they're like, oh, you have a good game here and kind of a bad game there. It's you're either on one end of the spectrum or the other. There's no in between with that. Um, and so just all in all, um, I, I don't really have much else to say. Um, hopefully by the start of season two of Trouble with the Snap next fall, there might be a new guy running the show, but I highly doubt it. Um, I don't know. I want to touch on what you said about the about the portal. Because AM did this and TCU did this as well, where like AM brought in Tony Grimes, the corner. Sam McCall was a highly rated guy. TCU, similarly, they brought in JoJo Earl and Tommy Brockermeyer from Alabama with Trey Sanders, too. And those guys have been fine, I guess. But I think people get a little too excited about what your high school ranking was because typically, and if you're a five-star guy and you're still in school by your fourth year and you're looking to transfer, you're probably just not as good as your recruiting ranking was. And I feel like I noticed that that uh, A&M had, had a few of those takes where I just didn't really – I didn't really feel that the ceiling was there. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. And it's kind of funny you mentioned that because um, some of our best players in the entire team this year and for the past few years – uh, most notably, Ezra and Cooper and Anias Smith. Both of those guys were three stars coming out of high school. Or maybe Ezra and Cooper is like a really, really low, like bottom of the barrel four star. Um, but either way, you know, it's not necessarily your high school rankings don't matter at all as soon as you step foot on co- on a college campus. They don't. Like you, you can have this hype around you. You can have this and that because of the rankings. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to just how well you can adapt to the college game and how well you perform. And clearly, guys like Edge, Edge Cooper and Anaya Smith, um, they came in with little to no expectations, hardly at all, and they've completely exceeded them since they've been here in College Station. And then you look at some guys. I don't want to necessarily want to bash freshmen because freshmen are, are they're always uh, like I get it. Like freshman years can always be rough for majority of guys around the country, but you know you have some like you know four star guys on the line or offensive line, things like that, and they are just absolutely atrocious. Um, you know, hype doesn't mean anything like potential doesn't really mean anything unless you do something with it, you know? And, um, regardless of how sky high your potential may be, if you do nothing with it, it does not make a, make a damn at all. And so, um, I don't know. And especially you, it's, you also brought up Sam McCall and Tony Grimes. 
Tony Grimes has yet to see the field this entire season due to some nagging injuries that he's had throughout the entirety of fall. And Sam McCall just got his first start of the season against Ole Miss just because um, AM had two guys and uh, two DBs in our secondary that were down with injury. So that was the only reason why he saw the field. Um, it, it's just, it's just head scratching. I don't know. Um, I don't really have much else to say. I mean, I could, I truly could talk about this for hours, but I know that I would lose my audience for probably within the next five minutes. Um, Colton, do you have any, anything else to touch on? No, I mean, it's obviously a big story and one that everyone's following. And I guess adding on to that, there will be coaching changes coming in the next few weeks. So y'all can definitely expect that to be a big point. I'm just going to start like, uh, I'm just going to start rumors about Jimbo, like how, like I'm just going to say like, and has been stealing signs like Michigan has and like stallions. Yeah, fire for caught. I mean, look, Stallions is probably going to be at. He's, I mean, that guy's everywhere. Yeah. There was also, uh, real quick, did you see that apparently he started an LLC with Blake Corum? I did see point? that. Um, this story is insane. Yeah. So that, um, you're, that's the thing, too, is I'm sure that there are definitely some of y'all listening right now are probably wondering why the hell Colton and I haven't touched on the Michigan story in quite some time. Um, Colton and I both agreed that we won't necessarily give our thoughts or feedback on this story since it's such a big big accusation big thing going on we won't we don't want to give our opinions and thoughts on this just yet until like all the facts have truly come forward and the dust is kind of settled so um unless something just absolutely just some bombshell report about this comes out um i believe he and i are trying to stay kind of as neutral as possible until this whole thing just kind of plays itself out yeah i mean there's a new i mean there's a new stories and stuff breaking every single day pretty much so i think we're just gonna wait till the end and, and try and summarize it unless something crazy happens like jim harwell gets fired or something but i can't wait for the uh the absolute god-awful movie about this uh situation to come out in like the next 10 years yeah we're gonna get so excited about it and it's gonna be so bad but it'll, it'll be, be like fun the, to it'll be like up. the blind side colton i mean that's just awful <laughs> it's gonna be like the florida documentary that everyone got excited about and like you wouldn't even know that aaron hernandez like killed anyone if you hadn't known before it's a good point but yeah i think that'll just about wrap it up there's like we mentioned there's some really good there is what uh two top 10 matchups this week and you got a couple nice top 25 matchups so if you have youtube tv or any sort of multi-view i would definitely have my tv on pretty much all day long but i think that's just about all we've got yeah that's that's all i got you uh Y'all heard my tangent about Jimbo and AM football for about the past 15 minutes. Thank you for bearing with me on that. Uh, I'm sure that we have quite a few more Longhorn listeners than we do Aggies. So um, I hope y'all either enjoyed my rant about AM football or either way, thank you for sticking it out this far in the episode. But um, yeah, that will just about do it for this latest edition of Trouble with the Snap. Um, Thank you all very much for listening to not just my rant, but just everything up to this point in the episode. And thank you for, if you are a continuing listener, thank you very much for coming back and joining us every week. Uh, we really do appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Um, but with that being said, um, we hope you enjoyed and we will talk to y'all next week for our recap of week 11. Thank you all.